for the equaliser, and it's a beautifully sculpted score for is won by Armand Carline O'Hanlon, the right person in the right seat. Only for point number 10. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sideline Eye podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Niall McCoy, and he's going to talk about us through his recently released book. It's Kings for a Day. It's Armagh's journey to Sam Maguire in 2002. Nell, it's great to have you on. And I know I was speaking to you a bit off earlier. It's, it's a journey. It's not, it's about O2, but it's not about O2. It's about getting there and the years that followed and everything that happened from about the early 90s till about 2005, 2006. Yeah, yeah, Sean. It's, uh, it's probably, uh, the O2 obviously is the centrepiece of the story, no doubt, but it's probably a decade journey. Uh, people ask me when it's from. I'd probably say in '97 through to 2007, and I suppose Joe Kernan's last match, Derry in the qualifiers. And um, probably I know they come back on and Ulster the next year, but that was probably the breakdown or close to the breakdown of that team um, that had been on the road since you know the late '90s right through. And I suppose the story ta- starts touching on the, the mid '90s and when the two Bryans came in and. I suppose the, the part they played in the journey too, and you're right to say that, like it's, it, it is a journey and it was a journey that had a lot of bumps. Um, you know, it's a book about Armagh, but there's a lot of, a lot of bad days for Armagh included in it. Like, and I often say the Armagh story in that time, bar 02, is very much like the Mayo story of now, you know, so many years where they're just within touching distance and they're losing the break of the ball or something happens and they just miss out. And, but that one year in 02, everything fell away. Uh, the luck went with them in the big moments. And here, no more than they deserved because it was a team to put everything on the line for so long. And it's always said, it should have won more. That's you talk about that Armagh team. The first thing everyone says is it should have won more, which is spot on. And I know for some of the players, it's something that will grate them forever. But looking at them as a fan um, and someone who followed that team all over the country, to have all our medals in their back pocket. And no matter what happens in the rest of their lives, coaching, playing, whatever they're at, um, they'll always have a Celtic cross. And that's what they set out their career to do. And that's what they did. So something to be very proud of when all was said and done. I think it was Oshin McConville said, Nell, if, I think it was Oshin, you can um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he said that 2002 just felt like the year they, they were going to win All-Ireland. And even in 2005, they played better football, but they didn't have that same feeling. And I suppose... Just the heartache of losing three three times to the All Ireland champions in the previous yeah. years, two thousand and two. It just felt felt like the time was right. I suppose for the players, it did. And you know, Washington and, and different boys that are interviewed, they all say the same thing. They said Joe came in, and Joe didn't reinvent the wheel, but what he did was he brought a belief back because the two thousand one qualifier to defeat the Galway, which I give an entire chapter to, was a very dramatic day with the guard escort not showing up and. For a lot of people, it felt like the end of the road of that Armagh team, which is funny looking back now, given how far they went on for another six years, you know, essentially six or seven years when you include 08. But 02, 
Joe's basing was coming in, reinvigorating everyone, and also just the small things, the small things that added up that got them over the line. And, you know, lucky generals and all that, the, Brian, Brian Kahneman would have said, you know, the difference between us and O2 was Ronan Clark. Brian also would have said that he felt 2000 was Armagh's greatest ever team, but they didn't get over the line. And they were so unfortunate not to, because they should have been carried. The big carry would probably win the All-Ireland. Um, 05, yeah, again, I like I was asked on a podcast this week, what do I think was the best Armagh team? And personally speaking, I'd say 05, to me, they just looked at the peak of their powers. Again, the Tyrone saga, we all know what happened in that semi-final with the, the late free kick, so close to an All-Ireland. But when all said and done, 0-2 is the year that will live in infamy for Armagh fans and in GA history because it was such a special All-Ireland. I think the colour, the fact it was a first-time winner, which is such a rarity now in the game, um, it just, just was something special. Like, you know, Tyrone 3 was possibly, yeah, I think was the last first-time winner. So you had two, in a, two years and... You're looking at it now and you're trying to pick the next first team winner, um, you'll be looking for a long time. And then just on the book as a whole, how long did it take you or how much work had to go into this? Because obviously there's the interviews, there's the reading up on match reports, watching old games, the wee details like about, you know, somebody coming up to, to Graham Garrity and slaying Castle and yeah. slagging yeah. him about getting Jared Reed sent off. Like there's so many wee details in it. So. Yeah. Well, well, some of the stories are actually, you know, just because I happened to be in that place. I was in that pub and watching this boy go up to Graham Gerhardy, you know. So that was just like a wee personal sort of story I witnessed. And the same with the tickets for the hill heading into the O2 semi-final with Dublin and the drum TMC saying, you know, bring their crash helmets. Like I was there because I was one of the boys who went up and got those tickets. But a lot of work went into it. It did, Sean. Um, a lot of enjoyable work, though. Um so it was O'Brien's press, the publisher, and it basically had nine months essentially to get a first draft in, a first manuscript, the first half of which wasn't too enjoyable. It was doing interviews, which was great, but then came to transcribing, and you know, journalists will know is uh, very, very time-consuming. But once I got the interviews nailed down and that, watching those old matches, I mean, Mother was a great one for keeping scrapbooks and video and games and all, and you know, that's one thing, the GA coverage back catalogue, it's not easy to access, but I was quite fortunate that she had a lot of videos going uh, in, her, in, her, in her cupboard, so I was able to go and watch them and different ones are on YouTube and different things like that. So the second half, it was tough now, don't get me wrong, but it was an enjoyable process because I was reliving a journey I was on with them, you know, as a supporter and going to all those matches, like I'd, I wouldn't have missed an Norman match for years and just seeing that team going from, Missing out, missing out, missing out until what happened that September in 2002 was just, uh, it was great to relive it. Not so much maybe the Trump defeats of the years after, like, but uh, as part of the story, and I think that's, well, I hope that's something that comes true in the group, in the book, sorry, is that it is quite a difficult story at times. You know, there was some dark days for Armagh on the field and it, it, was, it was just tough times, tough results, a lot of heartbreak. But at the end of the day, as I said, uh, they got there. They got there in the end. Didn't get the second title, but they still were all Ireland champions. Well, those top is now. I suppose Armagh didn't win as much. That team didn't win as much. But what they did win was even compared to now was is unbelievable. And in the nineties, it was such Ulster football was thriving in the nineties. But Armagh were, you know, the 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 black sheep of Ulster. They yeah. couldn't get the Ulster final. Couldn't win an Ulster championship game hardly. Um, no. There's a, there's a great moment in it now where you're talking about, I think it's Charlotte Burns and Geezer are travelling to pre-season training because the league starts before Christmas 
and at the same time down are training for their All Ireland final against Dublin and Geezer and Jarlath are travelling through down and seeing all the down flags up and it's it's such a a, a perfect image of the two two counties yeah. where the two counties are at that stage. You could just imagine the head and geezer as he's driving past all the red and black bunting. It was Jim McCory had called him in a wee bit earlier just to get a wee few extra weeks in the in the legs. And it was just, you know, the contrast between the two counties side by side. And the fact that they had to go from South Dermot, you're traveling through New York, usually to go to wherever they're going. And, you know, the two men nearly come to blows on the training pitch, Charlotte and Geezer, you know, and it's obviously a very tense situation, which is born out of frustration. Um Winners, you know, winners, everyone talks about McGinney and McGrain and, and boys like that. But, you know, even that Jarlett and those boys were pure winners. So it would have hurt them a lot. It would have hurt them a lot. You had obviously what Donegal and, and Derry did breaking down the wall. But to see Down come back in 91 and then when things weren't going well for Down in 94 to come back and then go on that run, get everything in place before the championship and do it again. Like it, it, it would have really sort of... It would have torn at them. It would have torn at them, you know, especially the boys around the South Armagh going into the Abbey and St. Comans and being on the same, you know, pitch as boys who supported Down and different things and all the slagging and the building sites and all that went at it. And at that stage, Armagh were nowhere near in all Ireland. You know, they were nowhere near. They were clocking up Ulster titles here and there throughout the decades. Never really had a serious assault. 1977, they were well beaten. 53 was probably their, their best moment. Uh, obviously, a famous penalty miss from Bill McCary. They were leading at that stage, but certainly in the early 90s, while Ulster was taking over, Armagh certainly weren't. And then the two brands come in, um, Nell, and I don't know how aggressive approach probably isn't. The, an old school approach is probably the best way to, to word it, but the change up, the change Armagh. Yeah. I, th- I think you can probably use aggressive when it comes to McAlin and like, uh, and you know, I think at the time, because I think as time's gone on, I think people probably appreciate more now what the two brains brought to the whole All-Iron success, you know, um, especially McAlin. And there's definitely something about McAlin that really brought Armagh to a new level in terms of intensity um, and different things like that. And I speak to the boys that went and met, met, Dick Advocate, who was over Rangers at the time, you know, different people like that. But Gerlach Nan, they had a conversation, went and met Gerlach Nan, and they had a conversation that seemed to really stick with them. And Ger told him, you know, in training, you got to bend the rules. You got to step over boys that are down injured. You know, you got to bend that ruler, not until it snaps, but until it's on the point to snap. And, and that's what they did. You know, Magdalene in particular, as I say, was a hardy, hardy buck. Always was. Um, still always was, even in his coaching game. But, when they came back from there, Armagh training was was a dead zone, like it was a killing field, and they brought that intensity onto the pitch, started getting results. You could see it, like you can just go through the results from 97, 98 onwards, you can just see them improving uh, year by year, and then obviously in 99, they make the breakthrough, and such a, the, the fortune again was with them that year, you know, there was a, the dairy match in particular, there was a very soft free given Paddy McKeever was minced by Seamus Downey or Henry. I can't remember which Downey and Calderwork put it over late on. And if I watched that tackle and it was given against Armagh, I'd be very annoyed that it was given, but the moments were with them. And then, then the All-Ireland semi-final 
the, against me the, the start to get two goals and they're in a good position but they probably look like a team that maybe just weren't ready to, to win in All-Ireland at that stage and they needed a couple of extra years and the experiences of that 99 and the 2000 semi-final with Kerry in particular um, to have the semi-final one on the first day and then call out and then the replay as well went the whole distance uh, great learning experiences you know uh, hard hard days but all that fed in to what happened in 02 those those moments, those clutch moments in 02, like all that fed into that. And there's the brilliant psychology from McAllen as well with Jarlath Burns having the, the sore ankle now. And yeah. uh, it was too late to put the injection in that, but he told the doctor to don't put anything in the injection, but yeah. stick it into Jarlath there and he'll be all right. He had some laugh telling me that story. And I've, I've been texting Jarlath, but we haven't brought up that story yet. I'm not too sure if he's happy to put it in, but it was too good not to put in, too good not to put in. And that's it, like, you know, and when you get to that high level in sport, like it's a lot of it is the mental game, you know, there's not much between these teams, you know, you're at that high level. And sometimes it can just be the see we bit of mental strength that gets teams over the line or doesn't get them over the line if it's a bit of mental weakness. And McAllen didn't like I remember talking to him about uh Derry, it might have been Derry ninety-six up there, and like they are massive underdogs, like and or they're not expected within an arse's roar of Derry and they started quite well and went well up and like he's just sizzling at the idea that they couldn't win that match you know he's not he's just programmed differently Brian um, and he, when he Sarsfields won the championship in 91 it, it was the same like you know it was just well why can't we win it like what, what can't so he broke down a lot of barriers I often say him and Kahneman are sort of like a good cop bad cop by the by the sounds that you know you had Mike Lennon very aggressive and intense and Canavan very sort of he'd be more arm around the shoulder job and it, it was a good a good mix because for whatever happened though too like to win those couple of their titles like the two Bryans did for a county like Armagh which traditionally is not an Armagh G powerhouse was was something to to really cherish. And Joe comes in then now um, obviously off the back of what he done across McGlynn but I didn't I didn't realize he was in for the was it the Calvin job he was a shoe in for. He thought he was totally as a shoe-in for the cabin job and he this was a couple of years earlier and he was also in for the loud job uh, as well. Paddy Clark, the late Paddy Clark ended up getting that and Liam Austin ended up getting the cabin job. So it's funny, it's funny, like, you know, he, he had a really good seat, club CV at that stage too, uh, but obviously he had an All-Ireland win with Cross in 97. So you would have to expect that he was seriously considered, especially for the cabin one, because I think it was later than the loud one and he had added certain stuff to it you know in terms of titles so it's funny it's uh it takes a man in the room and in in cabin town to maybe change our man's future because you go in there that was back in the day where you stuck around for a couple of years so it's almost certain he certainly wouldn't have took our man oh two probably not probably not like it was a done deal pretty much when the brain stepped down that the joe was you know there was no people registered interest but it was a done deal but if he had been at Cavan maybe Cavan took them on a similar journey he might have just wanted to come back to Armagh at that stage you don't know how it works out you know he might have thought they're at the end of the road so probably a bit different for Cross too because he ended up staying with Cross a wee bit longer I think as a result so it's uh, it's funny just how sport works and these moments that just have such a big impact that's crazy like and thank God that he didn't get either job when he stayed with Armagh but yeah. On the O2 now, like there's so many, I suppose, big headlines or talking points in it. Like there's Lilla Manga story before the championship. There's, you know, Ray Cosgrove hitting the post, mm. Muhammad Ali's ladder. Like there's yeah. so much in that O2 yeah. season. 
Yeah, and the Le Mango one's one I look at as being the most crucial. Obviously, Cosgrove puts it over, it's massive. But if they had lost that throw match after Le Manga or lost the replay, psychologically, it would have been so hard for them to recover that year. I don't think they would have recovered. Uh, the qualifiers had been introduced in 2001, so they would have had a second chance. I don't think they would have took it and thrown, you know, were a young team at that stage, but they went down to Sligo, which Armagh nearly did too, of course, but they went down to Sligo, haven't been heavy favoured. I don't think Armagh would have won the All-Ireland if they had a loss to Throne in either of those days. And then all of a sudden you're in the 3 and who knows from there. Um, it was a chance they were ridiculed at the time. There was articles laughing at them. You know, uh, there was an article that said they'd be better off going to Lourdes. So it's uh, the the Tucker stick, the Throne boys, while Armagh were in Le Mans, and the Throne boys were playing around the club championship. I went through all the club reports from Throne that weekend and that week, and you know they're all starting and, and playing big roles. So they're getting tuned up by playing hardy championship football, and Armagh, to some, were sitting, probably having a few drinks in the sun, taking it easy. But in reality, um, in reality, the, no one touched a drop of drink. They got, was it John McCloskey said, six weeks of training into that small block. You know, they were doing three a days, um, and it was just mad stuff. They had kicking coaches in. It was... It was what county teams would do now 20 years ago, and it did give them an advantage. It gave them an advantage. And I think in the years to follow, the likes of uh, Trone, but Kerry especially, saw what Armagh were doing and realised physically and that sort of level of preparation, we're going to have to match and better it. Uh, but Armagh certainly took it to a new level. It wouldn't have been the first team to go away. I'd say possibly the first team to ever go away on a beer-free period like that and put in such a, such an effort and here it paid off the rest is history as they say Sean I love the bit I think it's it's John Toll and Aidan O'Rourke I think they're coming home from the manga or something and yeah. Toll says you know I think we're going to be at Tyrone and Rook says what are you talking about we're going to win the Ireland yeah I can just imagine lucky Aidan give him like and that's the that's the belief and Joe was a master that like you know uh, they believed early they believed obviously before the championship started the manga just rubber stamped it so, and, and again, I go back to it being a psychological battle at that high level when you have so many good teams as there was around um, around a similar standard. Um, a lot of the time it just comes down to that mental belief. And, you know, we saw that Cross and Glen team under Joe, how many tight matches. And I think I went through to that. I can't remember offhand many replays and one-point victories to had, but it was significant. Like, it was really, really significant. And it's no coincidence that he was involved in both those teams. You know, he obviously gets them believing. He had the, the players wanted for nothing. Uh, he was very good at looking after the players. And again, the wee bits in terms of, even back then, in terms of gear and different things like that, you know, was such a big thing. So those wee things, as I say, it just all added up, all added up, Sean, and was just absolutely crucial. And now the, there's awkward moments in it too, and I'm sure awkward moments for yourself having to ask people about them. But I'm thinking more of the, like the Dermot Marsden red card in 2003 All Ireland final, and you got Philip Jordan's viewpoint on it. And then there's the um, taking Geezer off against her own in 2005 yeah. semi final. I know you talked to Joe about it. So there's awkward moments and there's, yeah. there's disappointing moments. Yeah, and two seminal moments. Like when you think back at that journey, there are two moments that stand out. and you can't do a book, you can't do a book and not touch on that sort of stuff. You know, it can't be a fairy tale. You know, you can't just ignore the, the stuff that didn't happen. Like, uh, you have to ask, and I did, I have to ask Joe about that substitution, you know. Uh, he was probably the only man in the ground, and he'd say it, it was a group decision, like, but he's probably the only man in the ground that would have made it. And, um, you know, Sean Cavanagh's come out and said how big of a 
big of a moment it was for them. Like, but you have to ask those questions. The same with the sending off. Uh, it's not nice asking Jamard uh, about it because it was obviously such a difficult moment in his in his life. But like Joe on the substitution, he had the graciousness to to speak about it for me, um, which I massively appreciated. I also, as you mentioned there, like I thought it was only fair that Philip Jordan had the opportunity to, you know, give his take on it 20 years on, or sorry, 19 years on as it would be. I asked him expecting to get a no, but Philip took the, took the call um, and, and spoke honestly on it. And as I say in the book, your opinion on it will, you know, it'll depend on whether you went to Crow Park that day with an orange and white flag or a red, red and white thrown flag, you know. So it's one of them things that always rumble on. Um, and it was funny, I, I interviewed the two boys within five minutes of each other, you know. So it was, it was just literally... I was I was working one night and I had the two of them lined up and I was just chatting to them and it was weird just chatting to them back to back, knowing that they haven't met since, haven't crossed paths. It's just the way it's worked out, like they weren't in the same teams or anything like that. And it was just a, a pretty big moment. And you know, that's the thing, Aidan O'Rourke, very honest, would say you do what you have to do to win. He uh and Aidan O'Rourke is very, very close to Jamie always has been, but he says you do what you have to do, and he wouldn't begrudge. Philip, his view obviously is that, you know, he sinned, but he wouldn't be grudging it, um, whereas other people would throw hold a real grudge. Um, and then, as I say, it, throwing people would say he done nothing wrong. So it's 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 the loyalist sport. It's the loyalist sport. But as I say, Sean, I think it was just important that, you know, you touch on those bad days as well and you do it justice and ask it because it happened and it was all part of that journey. Um, so you have to do the book justice and go through the bad moments as much as the good. And the bad moments usually involved her own after 2002. Like, so the rivalry was unbelievable. And probably rivaled only by Dublin and Mayo of recent years. But then they're, they're not close neighbours. So it's probably not the same. Armand Throne, obviously big neighbours, big rivals. And yeah. like Ashley McConville talking about Ricey and Gormley and stuff. And, you know, they've yeah. maybe moved on a wee bit. But I'm, not, I'm sure not all the players have. No, like Ashley and... Um... Gormy and Ricey just did not like each other. Like, you know, and Ashing's quite honest about that. Um, they've buried the hatchet that he says, I've buried the hatchet, Ricey, not in his back or in his head. <laughs> so, uh, and he met he met uh, Connor a few times, so that's all good now. And, you know, we're that far on. But it was a, it was a tremendous rivalry. Um, I remember being in the crowd for the 05 Ulster final replay and it just being spiteful in the crowd. Um, I had been working... A placement with Ulster Council for the drawn match. So I was actually on the sideline for the drawn encounter, and that was a really good experience. And then a the week later, just like I've never seen a GA crowd as, as spiteful, to be honest with you. But then by the semi final, that whole spitefulness in the crowd seemed to have disappeared. Um, but it was it was an unbelievable rivalry. I remember the 05 semi final, I think it was Tony Davis possibly in the Sunday game saying the, the Tommy Murphy Cup final beforehand was the better match. and uh, was which just nonsense, like because that throne semi final replay was was incredible. And throne in the second half of the book, throne dominate the story, like you know. And it pains me to see it. It's a rivalry they come out on top of, and slender margins, slender margins. In 05, I'm, I'm convinced the big throne to, to win that uh, All Ireland. So you're talking in that era, it's probably 2 2 in All Ireland rather than 3 1, you know. That's a sport, so there's no denying, you know, that also title in 05 was particularly sweet. Um, but overall, you're asking who won the rivalry, you, you, you have to say it's your own, unfortunately. 
And I suppose that is a, a disappointing bit in it that, you know, Steve McDonald reveals that the, the team isn't close anymore. And you would imagine that that team that slogged together and fought together for so long, they created a bond. And, and maybe they have, and it's just the way lives have turned out yeah. that they don't meet up where they're not as close as they once were. People ask me about that, you know, they've all asked about because Stevie was, he was, I met him in the golf club and a great chat with him and he was genuinely disappointed, like, and he said he, we tried a couple of times to get things sorted and it'd be the same five or six boys would be thumbs up and the rest half them wouldn't even respond. And it, it did annoy him. It did annoy him. And I know even Oshin there, like over the last couple of years has reached out and sort of become more contactable to boys that he maybe wouldn't have been as close as he's made a big effort too. And um, my theory is that so many of the players went straight into coaching and management that straight away they're into different environments they're in a different not back then obviously there wouldn't have been whatsapp groups but they're going into different changing rooms you know so they're straight away their focus was diverted to another team and family gets in the way different things get in the way and but i was very pleased to see that a few months ago they had the reunion down in lurgan and it seemed like everyone or essentially everyone was there and I thought that was really really nice to see the photos from the event were, were first class and the team photo and different things like that so I hope it's something like uh, we talked about with Stevie about the down 91 and 94 team they still do golf days and meet up and different things and I just uh, I hope that reunion sort of sparks something like that because you wouldn't get a closer group of boys in the in the dress room than that Armand team like they, they just put their bodies on the lane for each other I think that one of my favourite lines in the book is maybe the first line in it is um, talking about the author and it says Armagh's journey going to the All Ireland and now I'm kind of looking forward to the second one. So you must think Armagh close enough at, at this stage, are you? I do, I do, and I've no problem seeing it. Um, I think Armagh are a couple of players short, I think particularly in defence, and they could really do it midfield but then you have to remember that Niall Grimley and Archie O'Neill two fantastic options in the midfield missed last year you know through injury so touch wood those boys get a bit of luck I, I genuinely think that Sarmah team can win all Ireland in the next couple of years there's a couple of reasons I think that um, there's no longer an incredible team out there we had that Dublin team the only asterisk I'll put beside that is I'm not sure how Kerry will react to winning how much that will release them I just don't think I can see them doing the six in a row and what Dublin done. And so that opens the door up. And you look at it very basically, um, the Galway match that they very easily could have came through not playing well. I don't think anyone would see Armagh play particularly well that day. Galway got to an All-Iron final and with 10 minutes left are, are, are right there in, in the question for an All-Iron title. I, I think when you just look at the players and someone like Ray O'Neill to spearhead the attack and there's just good players all over the place. I think uh, if they could get a couple more, just a wee bit more depth because there were hurt with injuries. Obviously, Kieran Mack in last year, Connor Mack in last year, as I said, Grimley O'Neill, like they were missing quite a few boys. If they could just get a couple more players and maybe a wee gem here or there, I genuinely don't think there's any game that they'll be going in as massive underdogs and who knows and there's something like you look at it and here the one in all ireland throne the one the fourth all ireland and that's probably something to do with it like and but they've been leaking players over this last two years and here when you've got the all ireland in your back pocket it's probably a lot handier but you're looking at the armada team there hasn't really been anyone dropping off bar here or there like it's 
Ian, none of your key players seem to be opting away or doing this or doing that or making out they've had enough of it. They all seem really, really committed to it. And they're mostly a young side. You take the likes of Ryan and, and Charlie Ogan, you know, Ethan, well, Ethan's around a few years now at this stage, like, but there, there's still plenty of plenty of oil in the tank. And like anything, you need your luck with your injuries and you need your luck during the games because that Armagh 2 game, very easily in the Sligo game, in the replay, a penalty could have been awarded in the last minute and that's the All-Ireland over. Very easy against Galway, or sorry, Dublin semi-final. Cosgrove's free is a few inches to the left. Goes to, I think it was a replay back then, Dublin probably win. All-Ireland final, Kerry, and it was only when I was watching it back, Kerry ran over them in the first half. Ran over them and very, very fortunate that Kerry weren't six or seven points off the break and that probably would have been that. So, the luck's in. When the luck's in, and I hope to God McGinney and the boys get the luck in the next couple of years because I, I genuinely think they can win the All-Ireland. And I'd, I'd actually forgot about that. Um, low two, half-time, obviously, is a, another moment I talked about Lamanga and Muhammad Ali's letter and that, but I think it comes down to, obviously, the famous bit is Joe smashing his losers All-Ireland medal off the wall and everything, but I think Aidan O'Rourke and Geezer say, we'll have to yeah. be more aggressive here, and that's probably... What happened yeah. in the second half, you know? Yeah, I think I think you're in the toilets together and just, you know, and uh, McGinney to Ian, I don't know, and they're like, we can take getting beat by a better team, but we can't take not putting a, a hand on these lads. And they're given carry the space of Crow Park and and they went out and start the second half and, and O'Rourke crunches Gooch and picks up a yellow card in the first minute. And it's cynical, of course it's cynical. Uh, it, I don't think the cameras catch it right, but talking to I think he came down the middle of Gooch, you know, and it was yellow card all day long but Cooper goes out of the game but it was a message that an early message that had to be delivered that uh, Armagh weren't going to just let them have this all Ireland their own way um, they really really put down a physical mark in that second half McGrain and Toll like who had a really the struggle in the first half where she ran the show like they came into it as, as monsters in the second half McGrain second half was massive uh, Toll you know like McCann incredibly underrated like the just the op the op the intensity, but the op the physicality too, and the shot carry a wee bit, and that open open the gate a wee bit for them, and the took full advantage. So here, if you lose to a better team, sometimes you just have to hold your hands up. But if you lose a team, just giving them the space of the world, that's something that they would never have got over. And well, it, it is it's a brilliant book, and there's so many wee details. I know somebody like me, I was six when Armagh won the Ireland, so I don't yeah. remember a whole pile about it. So there was a lot of new stories and a lot of new details that I didn't know. Um, so it was very good for likes me and I'm sure you know older people as well it'll bring back so many good memories of big days in, in Dublin and big days in Croke Park and hopefully we're going back to it and as you say hopefully geezers men can lead lead us to now a few big days in Croke Park and that but now just to finish up um, where, where can you get the book it's obviously it's a perfect Christmas present for all the Armagh fans out there so where where can you get it? Yeah, it's a, it's available online. It's available in shops and online. Uh, it's in the, your likes your Waterstones and your Eason's and all those. Um, it's O'Brien Publishing who actually published the book, so it's on their website. It's on Amazon. Amazon have a wee twenty five percent deal on for a couple of days. I don't know how long how that's lasting. It doesn't say how long that's for. So it's an all usual outlet, Sean. And if anyone has any questions or anything, they can just drop me a line on Twitter or email or whatever. You know, so it'll get me. So all usual spots, Sean. So get out there and get that, that book. It's a, a superb tale and a superb journey. Um, probably one of the best GA journeys um, in recent memories anyway. And it's, as I said, a perfect gift for Christmas 
for all our Ma fans out there and we'll hopefully be back there again um, someday soon. Nell, appreciate you coming on. This is my last podcast of 2022. We'll be back for the McKenna Cup in early January. I think the first round is the 4th of January. So we'll be back for it. But that's us tied up for 2022. So thanks very much, Nell, for coming on and telling us all about your book. Cheers, Sean, and great work with the site this year. by our man Carlino Hanlon, the right person in the right